live from Shelley's back room. It is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me around the table, Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Carl Tuvin, Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, and Rear Admiral Ken Carradine. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for Backroom Politics. Let's join the roundtable live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Tuesday, which means it's time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics, live on Brock Talk Radio from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Joining me as they do every Tuesday to my left, he is the former eight-term member of Congress representing the 2nd Congressional District of Washington State. He is Congressman Al Swift. Hello, Congressman. How do you do, Justin? And to my 12 o'clock, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is Admiral Ken Carradine. Hello, Ken. Hi, Justin. And to my 1 o'clock, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who served at last count under four presidents, longtime Senate staffer and Washington Insider, and a distinguished fellow from the Stimson Center, he is Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hey, Justin. And to my right, she is the former general counsel to the Homeland Security Committee under Benny Thompson, former Obama administration appointee, Denise Krepp. Hello, Denise. Hey, Justin. And so was watching TV last night, and no. it was <laughs> I was flipping back and forth between Dancing with the Stars and uh, Monday Night Football, Atlanta uh, Falcons. Oh, and there was a debate last night. Uh, some have tagged it the horror in Hempstead, the layout in Long Island. It was absolutely huge night, uh, an estimated between 90 and 100 million viewers. That's Super Bowl material last night. Uh, the, uh, it, it was the first debate of the presidential cycle this year. And fortunate enough, backroom politics was represented by our own Alan Moore up there. First of all, Alan, let, let's talk about what happened there last night. You were there. You were in the auditorium. Was there a sense of anticipation, tension? What was the feel like last night? The feel, the feel beforehand was, was a kind of tension, curiosity. Of what's going to happen? Is there going to be some huge disaster, some huge something? Um, curiously, before people could even go into the uh, the Coliseum, the deal was media had their own place. And there were a lot of media there. Just about any media person you could think about um, was was there. Um, uh, and then there were all the so-called invited guests, the people who had a, had a ticket. Now, you could get a ticket several ways. The Trump people had some tickets. The Clinton people had some tickets. Hofstra University had a lottery for students. Uh, to get tickets. And the commission uh, itself, the Commission on Presidential Debates, uh, allocated some tickets. So you would go in, you'd get your ticket, depending on what line you were in, and, and then you would go to a bus, 
you started out at a museum, an aviation museum, then you then you got on a bus to ride over to the Coliseum, and there was this delay and this delay and this delay, and it was like, wait, you know, we need to get moving here, and it turned out that that Jill Stein and some of her followers had created enough disruption outside on the streets hmm. that they had to get her. They had to they had to. <laughs> <laughs> try to convince her to leave and then they had to escort her away and then they had to move their uh, uh, her followers so they could move the buses. It didn't create a problem, but it just was interesting because they had so much extra built-in time that time just kind of shrunk. There was this feeling, not of fear, you know, there were these different groupings, but the seating was, you know, there was the ground floor uh, down below where the which were the best seats. Right, and then there were the cheaper seats, if which you will, you were which I occupied. <laughs> uh, that's where the students were. That's where a lot of the the Clinton and Trump people were. But you know, they they would get seats both up and down. So the the their 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 prime donors, their close friends, um, party uh, muckety mucks might be uh, down in the front. But you couldn't. There, there weren't like, oh, that's the Trump section. That's the Clinton section. They were all intermingled. Now, before the debate started, we saw our good friend Frank Farenkopf, who's been on the show several times. Uh, Chairman Frank Farenkopf, who was the chairman of the debate commission. Co-chair. Co-chair of the debate commission on the Republican side, former RNC chair. Um, Frank came out and said, this is a brand new format. It's 90 minutes, no breaks, all in. Was, Was there a sense that this was a good idea. Was it was it largely not accepted by a lot of the people that were there? Could you tell? Nobody cared. Nobody no, cared. No, nobody. If you had said, "What did it used to be?" They'd say, "I don't know." <laughs> uh, they might remember that there were some bathroom breaks in those long two-hour uh, primary debates. There were no bathroom debates, right? Uh, and this fifteen-minute segment thing was something I think that that in looking back at the past. Um, that probably the, the the commission candidates and the and the media who would be providing happened to be wrong. 
And because she did it and did it with him and was wrong, she was vilified. Now, there was a big question. There's this big tension about moderators. Are they fact checkers or are they facilitators? Is it ever appropriate for them to raise a fact or is that a major risk? Which he did last night a couple of he times. He did a couple of times, but that was not how he saw his role. And he didn't have to because that's what the candidates do. When Trump says something that Hillary Clinton disagrees with, she can say, she can call him out on it. She called him out time and again for things he has been saying. Right. So she was like a, uh, a fact checker on in, in advance. Right. Um, and then he would, uh, and, and part of that was to, to take advantage of a very, very large audience. Was it, was and, it, 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 which I thought a lot about that, that, you know, we, we sit around here, we know a lot of the arguments, we know the problems with stuff he said, we know what the fact checkers say about both of them. But I think her view was, and you, you saw this really on the income tax question. She basically, in a very crisp, well-prepared, highly effective way, said, where are your tax returns? Every candidate puts them out there. What are you hiding? And she listed the four things that he was likely hiding. So she she fact-checked in advance. In advance. And he... uh, (laughs) That gets around it like Fred Astaire. Well, he tried to. But in, 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 in my reading, in the room, um, he failed miserably to take on the argument she made. So, we can come back to that. Yeah, but, we're going to come back to that. But, but but I, I, well, one other thing, just in terms of being in the room, it's a different experience than watching on television. So the experience that you all had, that most of America had, was not my experience. Yours was a more realistic a better measure experience of, you know, what people are going to say. You could see faces, sort of headshots, dual screen, which I think was a good idea from what I read about it. Yeah. I, I, we have a full screen, but no detail. Right. You, and there's no big monitors where you can pivot and watch what the people at home are watching. There was some small monitors that were a long way away. You couldn't see facial features. You could see body language writ large. You could see them up on the stage. All you saw was sort of uh, Lester Holt's back, but, but that's why I was really curious to, 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 to get back and didn't really have much time. What are all the people saying who saw it on television? Well, we're going to talk about that. Because that was uh, a different experience. The, the, the last question I have for you before we move on is the, the issue of the divide of people that were in there. It, you know, Lester Holt made it very clear, as did Frank Ferenkoff, uh, when he introduced uh, the, uh, the the commission, it it seemed to me like they had to sit on their hands for a lot of what was put out there by both candidates. Were they eager to blurt out? Were they was was the tension there of I got to say something they just couldn't or so so this is a, this is the traditional way that the commission does this. Um, they they want not. They want the audience not to be a major player in the experience of the television audience. They don't want uh, cheers, boos, laughs. So this is the third one of these I've been to. I was at one four years ago, 
years they always urge you and beg you and when you and when tickets are distributed there's there's rules and guidelines i sat with a student who were lottery winners and they said oh my god we got eight pages of rules we only we you only, <laughs> we got, only got two pages <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 they were warned and and urged if you start to make any noise if you take any photos or any flash, any anything, you're out of here. There will be people looking and pulling out. I don't know that, that anybody got pulled out. Right. So, but but what you felt over time was that there were there were moments where you you could sense that in a different setting, people would cheer. Right. People would go oh or moan. You might hear one or two here and there. But there was this buildup, and towards the end, there were a couple of breakthroughs. Right. So the moment there's a breakthrough for one, and I think it was for Hillary, I don't even remember, then the Trump people are like, okay, Our turn. new rules, <laughs> and, and then they're doing it. And then poor Lester, you know, Lester Holt's trying to raise his hand and calm people down, but, but they didn't stop right. anything. We were far enough into it then, but I think they're, you know, it's, it's natural, and, it, and that also speaks to the tension on, on those who were partisans in there that uh, of what the stakes were. We care, we care, we care. Right. We want to support her or we want to support him. We got to sit on our hands. We and then finally it sort of started to, 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 to well, we, blossom out. We, glad you were up there. Thanks for that insight. Really appreciate that, Alan. But let's get to the guts of what we're here to talk about. It's our post-debate coverage here on Backroom Politics. We all saw the debate last night. Some of us live, most of us on TV. Uh, the the anticipation of this debate head-to-head, first-time Trump v. Clinton. Congressman, did the expectations, did the debate itself meet expectations? Did it meet the hype? I think so, yes. <clears throat> I think, uh, yes. I, I think it, it flowed. I, I thought the, uh, the moderator handled it well. It's a tough, tough job. Uh, but he basically did a good job, uh, and the we'll discuss which of the two did a good job. Right, in, we'll talk about in, that in the, in the next segment. segment. But uh, essentially, I think it went well. Denise, I had a conversation with a friend of mine midway through it, and he was looking on Twitter. And he said, "You know what? Donald Trump's being praised for not being obnoxious." Wow, have we set the bar to the point where if he's not, you know, saying that uh, talking about little Rubio and he's not doing other, you know, derogatory things, that if he actually raises himself slightly out of the mud, he's good? That's not a standard we but, should be expecting. Did it, did it meet the hype? I mean, did the expectations of this debate meet what actually happened? Yes, I think she kicked butt. Well, okay, we'll get to that later. Admiral Ken. So going back to uh, last week's show, um, I, I, I preface my my guess as to who was going to win based on the, the the ability of the moderator to ask substantive questions and to try to elicit substantive answers from from the candidates. Uh, that was my bar. And to answer your question directly, yeah, I think it met the hype. I think that Lester Holt did a pretty good job. I think he was in a no win scenario, and for a guy whose back was against the wall one way or the other. Uh, I think he he did pretty well, and it met my expectations. Was, was there undue pressure on Lester Holt for this one? Do you think, Alan Moore? There was a lot of pressure on Lester Holt. It was the first one. It was the biggest one that it, you know in modern memory. Although the others, everyone is big, um, but but after 
uh, criticism of, of some of the, the moderators in the, in, the, in the primaries, criticism of Matt Lauer, uh, more recently, the question of who does the fact-checking. Um, it, it, there, was, there was a lot of pressure uh, on him. And so he, 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 was, he was the most relieved guy in America last night after it was over, and the second was Trump and Clinton, um, because they also have very, very high stakes. Needless to say, maybe theirs were higher. Was the expectation just behind them? But was, he was—it was way up there. Was the expectation unfair on Lester Holt? I mean, he's going to meet a pretty high bar, Congressman. Now, uh, it seems that everybody was—it was almost like they were expecting him. How could he screw up? And when can we start attacking him? Uh, Was—is that unfair to the moderator? No, it doesn't make any difference whether it's fair or not. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was made a little worse by Matt Lauer's dreadful performance uh, uh, at the, the Commander in Chief's forum. Yeah. Admiral Ken. And incidentally. Oh, go ahead, Ken. Uh, Congressman. Well, I did, it's an afterthought. But he not only had that problem uh, with Matt Lauer's performance, but he exceeded it. Way over. I mean, he, he really did well. Did he see? Did he exceed the expectations of what we were hoping for? Yeah, I mean, he was in a tough position. Uh, he watched what happened to his predecessors. He looked what happened at, uh, with Matt Lauer. He saw what happened during the Republican debates. Um, if he didn't handle this like a stick of dynamite, which could have potentially have become, Trump was going to say a lot of things, and he was going to blame his poor performance on him. But Trump didn't do that because he handed it so delicately until the, until the next day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, well until yeah. the next day. Yeah. Well, we're, Alan Moore, you got something you want to add to that? Uh, we'll come. We'll, we'll, okay. We're going to get to that. We're going to take a quick break, about a one minute break. When we come back, we're going to get into the guts of what happened last night in the Warren Hempstead. Oh, wait a minute. Alan's got yeah, one more thing. Yeah. Well, there was one, one, one thought because it, 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 it encompasses some of what, what others said. The, the standards of measure, as Denise said, and as we said last week, they're just different. It's not fair. They're just different. So, so and I was trying to think of an analogy for that. And I think that for, for, for Clinton to win, she needed to win in football by three touchdowns. If she only won by two touchdowns, then Trump could claim victory. Now, he blew his chance to lose by just one or two touchdowns and lost by maybe five touchdowns. Yes. So, so it, it's, it's consistent with what she said. Right. It's a different standard. But, but I lay that on Trump and his, his lack of preparation. And, we're going to, and we're going to talk about that when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about the debate itself. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom in Washington, D.C. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. That you dance by 
I felt a thrill And when you caught my eye My heart stood still Once again I seemed to feel that old yearning And I knew the spark of love was still burning There'll be no new romance for me It's foolish to start And we're back here live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Back Room Politics on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, we are obviously talking about the big event last night, the Horn Hempstead, the first presidential debate of the presidential cycle. Uh, we've got a phone caller. Uh, let's go to the phones. Caller, you're on with Back Room hey. Politics. Great, man. Really, really. Uh, I like the format of the show. I like the concept. It sounds great. Um, I just wanted to say, have you, have you read the uh, study that came out of uh, American University that said that the United States is an oligarchy and not a democracy? Uh, no, we have not seen that report. Uh, what are your thoughts? Okay, basically, it's, uh, you can check it out. It's like on a lot of news outlets, including the London Telegraph, telegraph.co.uk, says the U.S. is an oligarchy, and it's from Princeton. So, you know, my thoughts are that these guys know what they're talking about. I mean, you don't go to Princeton and actually get a study published by Princeton without it having some merits. So, you know, the reality is that big business and lobbyists run the show. And, you know, the, uh, the democratic process is essentially a show game because no matter who gets in, you're always going to have the core policies remaining the same. Like, you know, if there's going to be a war, then that's going to get pushed. You know, the way that war gets pushed, it, it, for example, it's not about like whether you voted for a president that's generally anti-war. Uh, <laughs> Kennedy is a great example. Uh, and I have respect for who Kennedy was, but I mean, that's what happens. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate you calling. Keep, keep listening, sir. Thank you very much for that insight. Um, the, uh, maybe we should say a word about that because... Uh, yeah, Alan, I mean, do you want to take it? Yeah, of course. So I think it's a crock. I haven't seen, <laughs> I haven't seen the study, but just because somebody went to Princeton or it was a professor at Princeton did a study that some Princeton entity uh, uh, produces does not... <laughs> does not change the reality of America that it's somehow not a uh, uh, a democracy, but it's some kind of oligarchy. Now, having said that, that is not to argue that there aren't powerful forces and influences. They come and they go. People sometimes like to say, oh, there's no difference between the Republicans and the Democrats. Well, ask an elected official uh, if there's any differences, and you'll hear about all kinds of them. We've got one former elected official here. Others of us have worked in the Congress, um, and and so we, you know, we <laughs> we have some some uh, experience uh, in this. So uh, it it's uh, it's an imperfect democracy, but when you watch these debates and you realize the stakes that are at hand, it's to get yeah. elected Absolutely. in a free and fair election. By the way, Congressman Allen, you ever been called an oligarch before? An oligarch? <clears throat> no, I've been called a lot of things. But never <laughs> <before>. <laughs> Shocking. 
Even uh, around this table, he gets called. He gets a lot called of a lot of things, but never an oligarch. That's interesting. Hey, let's talk about the debate itself last night. Um, starting off on the actual presentation, the actual overarching debate itself. Alan, you pointed out earlier, Donald Trump came into this thing looking so ill-prepared. The whole idea behind this was to get swing voters to be convinced that he is the logical, sensible candidate to win the White House. Did he trip on himself on this? Did he accomplish his mission on this? Well, I, <laughs> you you assume that was his mission. That would be the presumptive uh, mission. I'm sorry. I'm using stupid logic here. No, you know, yeah, you'd think that he would say, I got my folks. I think that they're probably going to ride with me no matter what I say or do. As he famously said, I could shoot somebody in the street and uh, in, in downtown New York City and, and my, my followers would still support me. That is scare, it seems scarily true at the time and it seems scarily true now. So how does he win? Um, he, needs to, he needs to find a way to attract some people who are, are, are in the, haven't yet decided. That's a, that's a great group to go after because at least they're, they haven't been so turned off by you or turned on by the other candidate that, that uh, they've decided yet. So, so that, that's, uh, uh, you're, you're going to go after the undecideds, and then you're probably have find, you know that, 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 uh, that Hillary Clinton is very unpopular and not trusted. So maybe you can peel off some of the people who lean towards her just because you can cause, uh, you can feed doubts. He failed in all measures to convince those un- to the undecided or to move anybody. And he did it in part because he seemed so confident in his ability. Uh, and and you, one could understand why after this remarkable, <laughs> unpredictable, unpredicted uh, success in the primaries to become the candidate. Yeah, I got this. I don't need to prepare. I'm not going to sit around and do mock debates. I'm not going to take film of it and look at it. I'm guessing he himself probably didn't study much of anything about past debates, how she behaves and how others behave. Those are the things you need to do. But he's so undisciplined, so cocky, um, and so confident that I think he really missed an opportunity not to go head to head on the detailed facts, but to, but, but maintain control. I thought he started out fine, and then he lost it. Lost um, it early. Early early when she got her 11 minutes ago. Uh, and I like that word, uh, how to describe what Hillary did uh, yesterday. It was very crisp. It was very uh, succinct. Um, and she was also very graceful and, and gracious. And, and, I, and I use those words deliberately because I kept interrupting her and she kept talking. But she talked in such a way that it, it came off um, smoothly. And it was not as abrupt as what we were seeing in the Republican debate, where, quite frankly, I saw a bunch of ruffled um, roosters. You know, every time Donald interrupted, the feathers popped. And that didn't happen with Hillary last night. She stayed very crisp and very on point. Congressman Al, I think it's worth pointing out at this point that everything Alan said about Trump was also true of Hillary. I think that both of them needed to get people who are not yet committed either way. Uh, 
and and so they were both playing to the audience of the undecided. And the undecided includes those who pay taxes. Right. What really irked uh, a lot of us last night, and and still this morning, was the you know the little side jab of I'm smart for not paying my taxes. Yeah, well, right. yeah, but Dan Lipner, who's joined us better late than never, Dan, thanks for coming in at that four o'clock live show. But go ahead, Dan. I appreciate it. <laughs> so I, I actually agree with you on the tax item, but I thought Hillary missed a bit of an opportunity there. As soon as Trump pounced and said, that makes me smart for not paying taxes, the appropriate follow-up once he started digging that hole should have been, well, Mr. Trump, with all of your smarts, what tax loopholes would you close to make sure nobody else could do the same thing and actually allowed him to show his lack of knowledge there and to the prosecutor side of things to actually force him to keep talking about not paying taxes, which every other person who works on a payroll has their taxes taken directly out of their paycheck. And Donald Trump is sitting here. Whoa, 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 careful here. Alan Alan Moore. (laughs) Be careful. We're talking about income taxes. Remember, about 47% of Americans don't pay federal income tax. Now, they do pay Social Security taxes, but we're talking about income taxes here. What I think the questions are going to come out, because you got the sense from him that, not that this is a surprise, one of the accusations from, from Secretary Clinton is, are, do you not pay taxes? Is that why you're hiding it? Or are you not as generous as you claim to be? Or do you have, do you, do you have uh, partners income, in business? Income that's not as high as you claim? Or do you have partners in business that you're embarrassed about? And then, he basically when he was saying, you know, not paying taxes is smart business, A, and then if I pay all those big taxes, you would have wasted them anyway, both of which seem to suggest that the actual taxes are quite modest. What I'm expecting now is for, for, new, uh, for, for reporters and Hillary the next time out and questioners to say, so you're not going to reduce, you're not going to release your tax returns. Okay, we think you should. We can't make you. How about just telling us this? How much federal income tax did you pay in last year? About the year before. We don't need the detail. Just tell us. And he won't do it, but it'll simplify this question. You know, what's in the taxes? Oh, I got, I've, I've got this, this, this IRS audit. I got to wait till that's done. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Tell us. How much you paid in Admiral Ken, so first thing, I thought her response to uh, I'm, I'm smart of, of saying, well, you, you're not supporting veterans, not supporting health care, doing all the things that every, every other working American has a, has a, has a stake in, in doing. Um, I think that uh, the, the first 11 minutes, I, was, I thought, well, you know what, he's, he's going he's gonna to maintain his composure. But the real question came, and I said it last week, as soon as she put in the first dig, he could not help himself. He was going to rise to that, and he, and he was going to be on the defense for the rest of the debate, and he did that. And I think you're right. The audience that they should have been going after were the undecideds. And I thought what was particularly interesting was the focus group that CNN put together from University of Central Florida in Orlando. In Orlando. There were 20 people in the room, 16 or 17 of them said, yeah, Hillary, Hillary won that. And, and one or two of them even said, and that, I'll tell you, I've I'm, been saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to vote for her. I, I've been saying for decades, if whoever wins Orange County, Florida, wins the presidency, that is the best litmus test out there. It's in the I-4 quarter. That 
that UCF focus group was fantastic. But the, the thing about the tax question is, and Congressman Al, it, it strikes me, if you are the Republican candidate and you are trying to appeal to that lunch pail crowd, that middle income, middle America crowd, the one thing you don't want to do is say, hey, not only do I not pay my taxes, but I made $680 million last year, but it might have been more. Was that a fault on Trump's part if he's trying to relate to the people that you want to get to vote for you, especially if they're undecided? You want me to say no to that? <laughs> no, no. This is what they would call. This is what they would call a planted question. Yes, I, I think it is. No, it, it, it was silly of him. Once he said, and that made me smart, you know, to not pay taxes. Uh, what a terrible thing to tell working class people. Uh, I mean, it was it was foolish. Unnecessary and uh, showed that he was flustered. Taxes are for suckers. <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm okay. So what I found interesting, and I, I talked, I made four phone calls after the debate last night, and uh, all of them to people that I know that are just ardent Trump supporters. So first of all, I didn't expect, um, I didn't expect the needle to be moved by them in any way, shape, or form, and it was not. Um, I'm sorry. Three phone calls last night. One finally got returned via text today. Uh, what, I, what I found, though, uh, in the three phone calls last night was indignation for Hillary for preparing for the debate. And, and I thought, oh, my God, so the pilot that's going to fly you and your family to see Grandma at Thanksgiving does a pre-flight. I mean, any, everybody around the table plays at one point. That's why you go to practice. I couldn't believe, and, I, and I've heard it on, the, on, the, on CNN and MSNBC this morning, people beating up uh, Secretary Clinton for preparing for the debate. This is, this is huge. Why wouldn't this person prepare for the debate? This is you're going for arguably the most powerful role in the world, and you're not you're not coming into the arena ready to go. That's just crazy. Dan Lesnar. Yeah, but that is also part of the war electoralism that's been going on and gaining strength. Preparing for preparing for debates is establishment. It's bizarre. There is an undercurrent within American culture that has contempt for the intellectual elite. And how you can call preparation the intellectual elite is challenging in my mind. However, nonetheless, that, that, that is part of the issue. I mean, considering two of the people that Donald Trump mentioned <laughs> during the debate, one was Sean Hannity as a, as a fact checker for his position on the Iraq war, and the other was inexplicably bringing in Rosie O'Donnell into the yeah. debate. <laughs> It may as well be reality television as far as the Trump side of the stage. It was just bizarre, but, but there is something to it. I don't understand it, but, but there is something to I it. I want to go back to the economy for a second because Denise Krepp, uh, the other point that he made along with not paying taxes, on top of the fact that he said that he made over $680 million last year, which in his words could be more, he also said, look at what I've got. I've got building assets totaling over $9 billion, and also made the comment that I'm going to end up on Pennsylvania Avenue either way, talking about the Trump International Hotel. I mean, is there any sense that that swing voters would say, oh, this is the guy I want for president? No, I I think the swing voters are saying, my goodness, what a fifth-grade attitude slash braggart that we potentially have um, that we hopefully will not vote for. And, And I use the word braggart 
because that's what he came off as last night. It's like, you know, if you have to tell me how many buildings you have, how much money you have in your bank account, you know, how many different things you have, and my thought is, well, geez, you really must not have a whole heck of a lot because, you know, if you have to project it, you're A, insecure about what you've got right now, and B, you're probably making all this stuff up. Right. And Alan Morton, you know, staying on the economy, he talked about Mexico. He talked to all these companies that are going out of Mexico. The one major Fortune 10 company he mentioned was Ford. And the second he talked about Ford moving all of its manufacturing to Mexico, the Ford Corporation on their official Twitter site said, no, not true. We're opening up. We're actually not only keeping all the jobs in Michigan, we're opening up two new factories in Michigan starting in 2018. We're going to expand our workforce here in America. Does that kind of fact check come out and get the blue-collar, middle-income voters to swing the other way? No, I don't. I, I mean, this fact check thing is, 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 speaks to the question that Dan was talking about for many, many, many voters. And it's not unique to the Trump people, although it seems to be it, 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 over-exacerbated to have, have a, a special attraction. And it's the old line, my mind is made up, don't confuse me with facts. And, and it's almost like he could say anything, and most of his people would still nod and say, yeah, yeah, tell him, tell her, tell, tell the media, tell anybody else. He's our guy. We don't care what he does. In fact, the more out there he is and, and aggressive and assertive, and insulting, the more we like him because the more he sounds like some of us. Admiral Cadden. But to my point, he did not lose any supporters last night. He was not going to lose any supporters last night. And the people that he should have been going after were the swing voters. And I don't believe, based on what I saw, what I heard, and I, and I, I try to call a ball a ball and a strike a strike, you know, I did not hear that last night. And, and uh, he, he's got a long way to go. And it'll be really interesting to see how he changes his tactics for the next debate. Dan Lutner and then Denise. Well, so this is the thing. The, the the shot at Michigan and Ohio was clear as day, and my guess is the closest thing to preparation Trump actually did. Because targeting those two states and with a little toss in Pennsylvania, sort of, but most, mostly Michigan and Ohio. Um, the guys who are working, or men and women who are working at the uh, Ford or General Motors plants in the area, or Chrysler plants in the area, they know. They are all engaged, and I find it hard to believe that they would be going heavy for Trump. However, their peers that are unemployed, that were the victims of the changing economy over the last 15, 20, 25 years, those folks, I think they heard a different message. And those are the folks that Alan is, is talking about. And how that resonates and how that plays, the question is, whether or not Trump, and for all his bombastic, puffery, whatever it is, managed to still hold on to his post because he's not going to lose. I mean, we know there is a relatively small percentage, plurality, of the Republican electorate. But the question is, the folks who are not engaged in the Republican electorate in the primary, how much of them are alienated by the puffery or are actually attracted since he's calling it something? something different. And since the, the trade deals, which were traditionally a Republican deal, the trade deals that he says are just a disaster 
simplistically calling them a disaster, whether or not those trade deals, you now have a Republican in brand also talking about them in that way. That I don't know how many people will move there. Denise Kraft. I'm going to go back to the statement I said earlier about the I don't pay taxes and how smart I am for not paying taxes. The money that the government collects from the taxes goes to infrastructure, goes to roads, it goes to bridges, it goes to sewers. And I bring that up because that's why he's going to lose uh, a certain segment of the American population. We are living in a crumbling society. And if we're being told that a guy who supposedly has 600 plus million dollars in his bank account is not paying any taxes, then why would we expect this individual to focus on the very thing that is of importance to all of us, which is the ability to walk down the Pennsylvania Avenue that you talked about and not trip over the broken sidewalks and not sink into a sinkhole on the road and not get electrocuted because we've got a power you know, wire somewhere. But Alan Moore, on that same token, uh, he also came out and said, look, we live in a third world nation now. <laughs> Our infrastructure is third world. We have airports in China that are like the Taj Mahal, the actual Taj Mahal in India, not his defunct bankrupt casino. Uh, we, I'm not sure he made the reference to Taj Mahal, but go ahead. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I, but I mean, he, talk, he talks about all these other great nations that have great airports and infrastructure and train and calls us this third world nation. Does that resonate of saying, wow, we have become a third world nation? Are voters buying in on that? Well, sure. I mean, Denise talks about the... The, the potholes, the roads, the sidewalks, the bridges. Um, we all know that, that these things are collapsing and putting people at risk. Um, and, and so I think that resonates. Does he have an answer for how to deal with that? No, um, because he wants to slash taxes. Um, I mean, putting aside uh, his own uh, personal behavior. But, you know, real estate is a very strange animal. And typically what happens, you buy a big building, you rent it, you depreciate it over time, and you end up not paying taxes, but the value of the property grows. So someday when you sell it, you have a big, fat capital gain that you presumably have to pay a tax on. And it's just that you're able to postpone, 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 postpone. It's the nature of the beast. It's hard to comprehend. It's pretty, it's pretty hard to explain, though, if he ends up saying, yeah, I didn't pay any taxes because I took advantage of the laws. It, rather than saying it makes it sound like he's taking advantage of the system, rather than to say the system is set up in a particular way so that stuff does get built, and including toll bridges and toll roads and so on. Um, and there's there's some good that can come of that. Not all of it's good. I'm the expert. I know more than anybody. Leave it to me to fix it. We've all heard that before from him <clears throat> on how he's going to fix all sorts of things like like money and government. Staying on the economy, Dan Lipner, uh, Secretary Clinton last night during the debate made the quote, independent experts have looked at what I've proposed and looked at what Donald's proposed, and basically they've said this, that if his tax plan, which would, his tax plan were implemented, it would blow up the debt by over $5 trillion. Uh, independent tax foundations said that this is true. Did Donald Trump miss an opportunity to say, look, we actually have a tax plan that will put money back in the workers' pockets, have money that will go back into infrastructure? Why did he not take advantage of that opportunity to 
go over details of his tax plan because Donald Trump understands his tax plan about as much as normal people understand the tax code as it is. So I have little doubt that Donald Trump read his own tax plan and that the idea of going diving into the woods on it is challenging. I mean, if you want to get into real tax policy as how you help uh, people who are in, in the impoverished, the earned income tax credit, which was created under George Herbert Walker Bush, was one of the things that most economists celebrated. It actually encourages people to work and gets money in the economy and does all sorts of good things. However, Trump basically, as I understand his tax plan, he just took the the wildest dreams of the uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce and said, this is my tax plan. Uh, doing away with the inheritance tax and all this other nonsense. That, But normal people don't get it. They see, they pay taxes from their income taxes, uh, and they see this as a chunk of money that comes out of their paycheck every week. And as far as how the details work, as Ellen was talking about, real estate's a different beast, not to mention the taxes that people pay on capital gains off, off of uh, people who invest in Wall Street and the tax issues as far as, I mean, Hillary Clinton talked about this, as did Trump, and missed an opportunity as far as the tax havens, including Ireland, which was which just got it uh, smacked down by the EU uh, a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week. And But normal people don't get it, so I don't know if there's any there there, uh, unless you start talking about things like the tax credit for child care, which Trump actually does have in his proposal. It's a nominal sum of money, suggesting $500 is going to make a dent in somebody who has a years-long child care need. That, that, that hardly pays for one month. Right, right, right. So, actually, actually, it's a bigger, it's a more generous uh, system than that, but unfortunately, it's all skewed to people who pay enough taxes to take advantage. So it's, it's skewed to, to, to wealthier folks, and they are they, they have issues and, and problems and challenges, but it's not the same as, as, as lower income people. I just want to say one thing, though, about their, about their relative, about the, 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 the two tax plans. So we have independent studies, and she's got all, the, all this data. You're, you know, the experts have looked at yours, and it would, it would do this horrible set of stuff. And they look at mine, and they say it would do some nice things. Let me tell you what the chances are of Donald Trump as president getting his tax plan through. They are approximately equal to Hil- uh, President Hillary Clinton getting her tax plan through, and they both approach zero. Yeah, fair enough. On that same point, though, Hillary Clinton last night did make the statement. She called it now trumped up trickle down, uh, a new phrase that she revealed that was last night. Die. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 was, it was too yeah, it was. cute. It wasn't well received by the people, at least, that I was watching the debate with. It was kind of, it was almost Bush League a little bit. But the, but the reality is, it was Trumpish. It was Trumpish, <laughs> we'll give you that. But does she have a point, Alan Moore? Does Trump's vision of trickle down again actually work to put money back into the infrastructure of the economy and back into workers' pockets? You know, most experts would say no. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, it, you have to make the assumption people are actually paying their taxes. And if Donald Trump is not paying you taxes, you're not getting the money for the infrastructure. Okay, so th- yeah. there's a difference between observing the law and not paying taxes and cheating and not paying taxes. It, it, it looks to me like Donald Trump, because of the nature of the business he's in, postpones and postpones and postpones taxes 
because he's able to, because that's how real estate by and large works in this country. I'd like to know if he's actually paid any taxes and, and there's no indication that, that he is. Uh, but I don't know, but I, but, but let's, let's be careful how we characterize somebody who, who, but that's not the only thing he does. Let's keep in mind the Trump brand is a lot of things and not just his real estate holding. It's real estate that he has sold his name to, which is a branding issue. Of course, not real right. estate. But, there's, there's his line of clothing, which is made in all over the third world. There's, but, but, but there I, are other I, things. I mentioned his paycheck from The Apprentice, okay. which is his actual employee as a performer. Right, but hold, hold on, hold on. real estate losses on paper legally may be so large as to shelter all of that cash income for the use of his name. We don't know. We, we don't know, but, it's, but I want to go back. We don't, I want to go back to the original question is, is there logic in having trickle down economics in the 21st century? Alan? Well, <laughs> I, I reject the question. Trickle down economics, <laughs> you know, has many, many different kinds of meanings. We, we are always wrestling with what is the right balance between revenue and spending, and when we and when we raise revenue, how do we raise it? Who do we raise it from? When we spend it, what do we spend it on? So, so we, Hillary Clinton has now got a. I mean, it's a very interesting proposal. She she wants to increase the taxes at the top, and uh, at, at, at the top levels of incomes over a million, over five million. She's got new brackets up there. She also wants to, to generate a top inheritance tax tax bracket of 65%. You're up in you're up in high territory, historically high in 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 in, in, re, in our recent memory. Um, I don't know what that might do. It's very aggressive, and it and it has a, a underlying notion of wealth, wealth accumulation, passing on wealth. Um, it will never have. It will never pass the Congress. But but, he, but here's the thing, though, Congressman. Now, when we hear the the fifty thousand foot level baseline, Republicans versus Democrats, you hear about if 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 Republican tax plans go into effect, we won't have the top one percent overpaying. That if they keep some of their money in, they'll invest it back into their corporations. They'll invest it into R and D. If the Democrats take hold, it's the top 1% paying their fair share to fix potholes and crumbling bridges. Where do the two intersect, or are they both right? That's a very complicated question. How long did it take you to think up that one? About two seconds. I'm really good at this. <laughs> yeah, uh, some of us don't think it's a very good question. Well, some of us think it's an idiotic question. Why? Wow. It's just, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that the reason I'm having trouble with it? Oh, come on. Come on. Is trickle-down economics a Trickle-down economics has never worked. The idea that you're going to give a rich man more money and that he is going to spend it in a way that will trickle down to to average and and poor people is nonsense. That's not how they think. It's not what they do. It's not what they've ever done. Trickle-down economics is something Republicans love and uh, Democrats hate, and I think for good reason. 
Well, it's also worth noting some Republicans. Dan Lipner, the George Herbert Walker Bush when Ronald Reagan proposed trickle down economics, referred to it as voodoo economics. And there's some evidence that George Herbert Walker Bush was right as far as the the, the revenue that that didn't come into the federal government and very You know, we, I love the way we're using these terms, and we don't have any kind of definition. We don't have any acknowledgement of the current system. But it's something that both candidates use. The current system and who pays what. And, and, and the irony is the top – and I, I'm not in the top 1%. I am not. I'd love to be, but, Intellectually, I'm, you but, but, but I'm not. I'm talking about income, man, and, and, and so on. The top 1%, the top one-tenth of 1%, and so on, they pay massive taxes. Now, they also make ma- even larger amounts of money. They accumulate wealth. Some of that money, they, it, it all depends. Some of that money they invest in ways that create jobs. Some of that money they hang on to and have, have a lavish lifestyle. It bizarrely creates a lot of jobs. Most of the super wealthy end up giving away a lot of their money. At the at the end of the day, and get tax Finney, advantages for Finney's it. Yeah, crap. I think close to policy on. dictated by by somebody shaking a can, selling pencils. But let's just get a little bit. I mean, Donald kind of nudged his way in a little bit in one area where he said, "I'm a business person. I can tell you how to to handle contracts." You know, if it had been anybody else but Donald Trump, I probably would have listened, and I would have listened because it's intriguing to me to see if somebody from the outside, somebody who has been on the other side of negotiating contracts would come in. Again, not, I don't want to say to Donald Trump because he's the king of bankruptcy. But that is an intriguing idea. And I, and I think we should be exploring that because as they said, you know, I, given the amount of time I spent in the federal government, given the amount of time I saw with some of those contracts, given the amount of waste I did see, it is intriguing to me to think that we might have some outside folks coming in who could help reform it. Again, not Donald Trump, but could we have this? Admiral Ken, one comment that he did make, and I, I, I found myself nodding um, voraciously, and that was the fact that there's just a tremendous amount of waste in government. Um, why that's the case, I don't know, but it, 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 the federal government does not seem to be able to help itself. Um, and, you know, I had the, the advent of, you know, being, being a reserve officer for a while, and one of the neat things about that is you, you get this influx of business business professionals into an organization that's not known to have a whole lot of business acumen. You know, you hear it all the time, we want to spend less money, but we want to get more bang out of our buck, but the government does not seem to be able to do that. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, Dan, let's not explore that. It doesn't take too much to realize it's, it's a single buyer with a market that isn't always the most competitive. There's a finite number of sellers who make aircraft carriers, correct? So as far as that goes, we want to do a bidding process on that. There's also a finite number of buyers and sellers for roads and those, that equipment. But As far as that level of competition, there, 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 are, there are reasons behind it. Now, do I wish that there were more people mining right. the store? Absolutely. But I'm also not, for a split second, going to suggest there's no waste in the private sector. Dan, I will tell you that, 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 that the FAR is pretty, pretty – We're uh, getting deep in the weeds The FAR is the regulation book that the, that the government has okay. used to be able to buy stuff. Okay. I will tell you that they enforce competition. And so buying the product is not the issue. It's what happens after the, uh, the product is bought right. and what's done on the Fair enough. Well, all right. I'm going to cut it off here real quick. We're, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back at the top of the hour, we're going to talk about some – Policy issues such as foreign policy, which was a 
huge nightmare for Donald Trump. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We will be back in two and a half minutes. Stay with us. You know, everybody thinks of Shelley's back room as a cigar spot in Washington, D.C. You know what the reality is? It is the cigar spot in D.C. Where else can you grab a great cocktail made by world-renowned bartenders? Or where else are you going to get the finest cigar list of any restaurant in all of Washington, D.C.? And then the great food. You come for the food. It can be the campfire wings. One pound of roasted, not fried, well-seasoned, marinated jumbo chicken wings with choices of Shelly's honey mustard or blue cheese or ranch dressing. These are award-winning wings. That's why you come to Shelly's. It's the whole package. You can drink, you can smoke, have great conversations with your friends, and have a great food menu. Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. You know what? It is the place to be. Capital, Washington, D.C. It's the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics on Blog Talk Radio. By the way, Alan, good bless you. <laughs> that one came out of nowhere. Hey, uh, obviously, this is our post-debate coverage here on Backroom Politics. Uh, we were talking in the last segment about the e- economy debate that went on. Let's talk a little bit about the big floundering 800-pound gorilla in the room, and that was the foreign policy debate. Uh, this for all intents and purposes, both sides, Republicans and Democrats, 
are looking at this, Admiral Ken, as Donald Trump brought a knife to a gunfight. Is that accurate? Yes. I think from my perspective, he, uh, he broke one of the cardinal rules, and he, he agreed that with his, with his opponent that uh, she had experience. I mean, you go to any kind of debate prep, you never agree with the uh, with with your your opponent. Um, the thing that I also couldn't get away from was, I think Lester Holt asked you know some specific questions. You know, what would you do? Uh, Secretary Clinton listed off, I think, uh, from memory, five items that she that she would she would immediately take up to and including uh, broadening our uh, our, uh, our work with NATO. And uh, he went completely the other way, and I think he he cratered. Yeah, he also mentioned Dan Lipner. He also she also mentioned something I'd never heard of, and which I also thought was a poor choice of words. A special prosecutor to make sure our trade agreements were were enforced properly. Uh, I'm not against somebody making sure they're enforced properly, but special prosecutor might not have been the right. If anyone other than Donald Trump had been there on the stage, they would have jumped on that. Yeah, but I mean, let's talk about the 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 foreign policy side of the house. Donald Trump was completely out of his element, Congressman Al, when, when asked by Lester Holt about Obama's changes in the first use policy regarding nuclear weapons. It, it definitely came across, even to a layman in middle America, that he really did not understand, one, what that was or the significant impact of what the changes may have been. Does that damage his credibility on foreign policy? Not with his, I get back to the fact that we were talking about the undecideds, and I think it would have some impact on the undecideds, on his loyal following. No, I think I think literally he, 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 any day he could probably go up to New York and take a shot down Fifth Avenue and... Uh, and, and still have his base. Well, prove that he still has his base. But, but it's, it, it should be noted that while he did not seem to know exactly what that was, I think because of Secretary Clinton's comments, he jumped on it. He figured it out pretty quickly. But I think I think it was it was too late in that exchange um, to convince anyone that he really had a clear understanding of what what goes into a, a decision to be to to be a, a first user of a nuclear weapon and what the downstream consequences of that would be. Uh, Go ahead, Alan Moore. Two thoughts. Um, I'm guessing that most undecideds don't know what the first use policy is either. So they're not sitting there horrified. They're thinking, oh, what? And then as, 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 as Ken said, when, when, it, when Secretary Clinton started to describe it a little bit and he kind of figured it out, he then came back around and said, by the way, uh, nuclear proliferation, nuclear power is the biggest problem. Not global warming, like my, like my opponent says, but 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 nuclear. So he was he it was a, it was he was trying to grasp something there, and I think in an odd way, it 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 he salvaged a little something. He could have been a lot worse than it was, even though he clearly knew nothing about. Right. No, but the problem is that Hillary did well on that point. Is mentioning that. Trump has been on the record saying the Japanese should be armed, the South Koreans should be armed, the Saudis should be armed. This is, I mean, by yeah, I think, he, I think it was like maybe they, it, was, it wasn't like they should be, but it was more like maybe they, just kind of opening it up to the possibility. And then completely misstating what uh, Japan and South Korea, for example, do and don't do in terms of cost. They contribute a lot of money. 
to to U.S. presence what, in in Japan and South Korea and in the region. But there's been a lot of criticism of something, that. But something that most Americans have no clue about as well that for for the isolationist sect of the American public, they see these U.S. bases at far flung places on the planet, and they assume we are footing the bill for. All of it. Right. Okay. And they don't understand that, yes, there were, the Koreans want us there, as do the Japanese. But it was true. But on a larger scale, though, there's been criticism by the Democrats, Admiral Ken, on Trump's man crush on Vladimir Putin and how he would deal with the Russian government. Uh, did Trump do anything to sway that perception as far as looking at Russia as an adversary, treating Russia as a counter? Uh, Counterproductive to American policy. So, in my memory of the of the debate, uh, and I and I've like actually watched it twice now. Um, <laughs> wow, you are a glutton for punishment. is just not enough. Good Lord. <laughs> can, you, can you show us the Opus Dei scars where you beat yourself too? Good grief, dude. Are you in trouble with somebody? Wow. No. <laughs> they had to they had to bad just leave me at home alone this yeah. morning. Okay. Uh, so. I don't. I don't think he. I don't think that particular uh, point of of this rhetoric was delved into. I, I think it was touched on lightly. But was the, it a missed opportunity by the Democrats? I think it was. I mean, but quite frankly, I don't think. I don't think it would. It would have helped that much. I mean, Donald did so much to hurt himself last night. I don't think it. It really mattered that much. I really don't. When you say today's crap, you know, he doesn't know when ISIS was created. Well, we're, we're talking nuclear stuff. So. I know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to ISIS in a second. But it's relevant. But we'll get to ISIS in a second. We'll get to ISIS in a second. But as far as him having an understanding of the sensitivities of nuclear powers in the Far East, i.e. North Korea, Japan, South Korea, uh, does he truly grasp the delicate nature of a Pakistani, an Indian and the potential of a North, Korea, a North Korean there, nuclear power? There is, there is no evidence in all that he has said during this campaign that he does. No, and he wouldn't know where the DMZ is either. Right, right. He, he, he wouldn't be able to say, you know, I have looked across the DMZ and seen the other eyeballs. He but, wouldn't be able to do it because he would say, you know, is that a uh, you know is that a radio station? That's what would be coming out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know. coming live from the 38 parallel. <laughs> so the, it's the wrong question. And while it seems clear that Trump doesn't have the slightest clue about this, the 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 correct question is, what do the people listening think Trump understood or didn't understand? Now, just writing off the the pot of deplorables that are the Trump backers, they, they, they cannot be redeemed for this election cycle. The question is the other half or the other part of his base, that some of them must know something about something. And the question is, what do they hear when, they, when Trump rattles off that nonsense? And I'm not convinced since we're seeing numbers that we've never seen before as far as college-educated versus non-college-educated splits in the electorate, I don't know if those punches or flubs landed with those people that are listening. I just don't. But when we talk about the nuclear policy and the sensitivity of that, when we turn our attention to the Middle East, that's when Donald Trump really starts getting on the soapbox. Uh, Congressman Al, did, did Donald Trump do anything to show that he has a grasp 
of what's happening into the Middle East and some of the failures of the current administration's policy? I don't think there's any evidence that he had any grasp of what was happening in the debate. (laughs) (laughs) Here, here. No, no. Hillary Clinton just did chapter and verse on the issues that she talked about. And about all he could do is throw some more Trump rhetoric at the issues he wanted to talk about. No plans on anything. Uh, he, he, it was deplorable. He should be embarrassed instead of being proud of it. Well, he apparently n- knows who Douglas MacArthur was, because quoting Trump from those days, that not like MacArthur would have said what he was going to do before <laughs> they, they, they sent the, the, the military into Korea. Really? <laughs> Good point, Alan Moore. Yeah, it, it was interesting. I guess he's been spending a lot of time on Hillary's website because he knows exactly how much detail there is in her ISIS plan. Which, um, there's not much in his. Which, no, no, Take the hell out no, of him. I think no, that's it, it's just interesting that he sort of chose to... to, to, to it, it was okay when he used to say, "My, I'm not going to divulge all my ISIS plans. You don't tell the enemy what you're going to do. But when he accused Hillary of providing all kinds of detail, he's just clearly not familiar with the sort of general uh, uh, priorities, objectives that, that, that she sends, used his, uh, his, his, his MacArthur line. The thing about, the thing about Trump is, and, and, and I think we really have to watch for the next debate, because in, the, in, in, our, in our history, we've seen some screw-ups in the first debate. Four years ago, I was in Colorado and watched Mitt Romney beat Obama, pretty much Italy. everybody agreed, in the first debate. It was like, oh my God. Um, uh, not everybody agreed, obviously. Not everybody agreed last night. But but pretty much people who were objective were surprised. Uh, Obama was, was kind of listless. Romney was on point. He, he knowledgeable, prepared, obviously. Different, different set of issues here. But but what, what so struck me was, A, he couldn't hang on to the temperament piece, and he missed the chance to talk about some things that feed into public concerns and distress about Hillary Clinton. He barely touched on the emails, the, wor- the, the words, the FBI report, and the extremely careless, uh, unquote, language uh, describing the way they handled confidential information – and the Clinton Foundation's sweetheart, our arguable pay-to-play arrangements, never came up. I'm guessing that we might hear some about them next time because right. because it, they were they were the big targets that played to people's doubts and concerns about Hillary Clinton. Well, the whole idea, he was so put off early on and trying to defend. But, and but here's the problem. Back. Here's the problem, though, Alan, and and Admiral Kim, I'll go to you. Is when he got really flustered. As far as argumentative, interrupting, you know, pushing Lester Holt, pushing Hillary Clinton during the foreign policy uh, part of the debate, this was an opportunity, I think, for Donald Trump to go ahead and solidify his positioning that he's done all along. He stuck to his, if we had taken the oil, which many experts say was ludicrous, can't do it, that just strikes imperialism. And number two, uh, talking about how he didn't vote or didn't support the war in the Gulf, which he was lambasted on, and then how he didn't advocate for uh, action in Libya, which he did. Why did Donald Trump not take this opportunity to at least 
not show he's a total flip-flop. I, I think the main reason was because his words were used against him, and he found his position almost completely indefensible. He knew. He knows what he said. He's no, he's, he's, he knows what he said on the Howard Stern show. He's had, he's had ample opportunity to, 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 to see it back almost day after day in the, in the enemy, inter, intervening days and weeks since those comments. I think he basically was, was finding himself, he was almost choking on his own words. And even up to including uh, the part where he, he talked about the fact that global warming was a plot uh, uh, thought up and, and implemented by the Chinese. These are things that are written down by him in black and white. He was choking on his own words. And that was, he was almost indefensible. And the only thing he really could have done was to try and uh, change the subject to something else. And he tried that once or twice, but not very well. Go ahead. So my, Dan, my suspicion on that for Trump is that there was at least a little bit of debate prep and, and aides were whispering in his ears, these are things you said in the past and not being terribly adroit at his working through his position, he saw the trap of his own words in, in opposite directions and opted just to avoid them. And the Clinton Foundation, there's some serious detail there. And the unfortunate thing is, I am certain that Hillary Clinton knows exactly what the Clinton Foundation has done that is good. And somebody somewhere said, by the way, you can go after this thing, but this is that response that is going to come. I'm reminded back in 2005, I got a chance to, uh, because this is DC, meet with somebody who is up, was on the debate prep team uh, for the uh, Kerry Edwards team uh, on the Republican side for, for Dick Cheney. And I asked, why didn't they go after John Edwards as the trial lawyer? And he just looked at me and laughed because he said, and I'm quoting here, we knew the counterpunch was going to be so much worse than us laying the, laying the hit on him being a trial lawyer because John Edwards' issues of the five cases that made him a trial lawyer. So I have a suspicion that because Trump is Trump, he there is that echo of, and Alan has said as much. The Clinton Foundation has done some good things. Not that there, not that there couldn't be some shady things as well associated, but you would have to thread that needle very carefully. And Trump doesn't have that ability. But, but uh, I, yeah, he may not have that ability, but oh, that has never stopped him before. I would, <laughs> not, 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 I, I, I would be staggered that, that he was holding back on the Clinton Foundation because he was worried about the counterpunch. I think just a it either went on his list. Or he was in his brain, or he forgot, because there's a few things that are out but there. Let me go back to let me go back let me go back to the foreign policy stuff because one of the things that I think detracted from Hillary Clinton is Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State and as a former seated senator in the in the U.S. Senate, had an opportunity to really dig in her heels. I think she did it partially well as far as showing his her understanding. But she had an opportunity to give details without giving away the playbook on how you attack ISIS, how you deal with the Middle East. Denise Krupp, you disagree? I disagree because she won when he called her Secretary Clinton. You know, when you talked a second ago about feeding um, ground and debate and you never agree, you're right. You never do that, but you also never do the title either. He called her Secretary Clinton. 
several times, which gave oh, her wow. the I think ultimate, that was the right. I, I will disagree. That was the right thing to do. I, I, oh, it was the right thing to do, but it gave her the gravitas that he doesn't have. And his best response was, you've got 30 years of experience. Where, where were all these great ideas back then? That was the best that he could possibly right. get. Right, and, and, and that, that would have been the point, I would think, that she would have come out and said, hey, look, this is how things really happen in the world. Here are some details. Here's my plan to eliminate ISIS off the map. She didn't do that. She didn't take advantage no, of that opportunity. No, she, she did touch on it. She said she, 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 she would increase airstrikes against ISIS and talk to allies to be ground. It was almost a bait. And I, I, I she, she, she's a hook. I got it. I got it. Tell you. Enough to t- was either just overwhelmed because Trump has said basically, we're going to kick the hell out of them with ground groups, which there is zero appetite across the American public for. So, that was a moment that I'm pretty certain she was hoping he was going to go in there and double down she's on his she, she's got She's got, what, two more of these to do? Yeah. yeah. Two more debates to do? Why waste all your ammunition here? I mean, but, seriously, I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm, if, if you're going to do this and you got a series of these set up, you know, quite frankly, she knew she had him on the ropes. Why spend it all there? But, but Congressman Al, the, the question comes back is this arguably will be the most viewed uh, debate in the series of three presidential debates. You've got an audience of $81 million, which just came out. $81 million. 81, viewer, 81 million viewers. Why not take that huge bully pulpit and drive the stake home of, I know how to fix the ISIS problem. You don't have a clue. Why not take advantage of that? Because she's got, she's got another debate. But not nearly the viewership. Hit her hard now. <laughs> There's two things. Well, go ahead. Thomas I'm, I'm just suggesting that even though they had 90 minutes, I think they couldn't cover everything. And I think she was smart in, in she, she made a lot of points and don't try to add more now. Save something for the next time. Right. All right. Alan Moore yeah, first. She, she's got a, a, a more detailed developed plan. There's no magic to her ideas that everybody is going to say, wow, wow, I'm so impressed with her plan. We would be doing that now if it were that easy. So it's not like she, she could dig into the details. You tune out the audience. In terms of the next two debates, you don't need, a, you don't need an audience of 81 million. There wasn't, believe me, there was not an audience of 81 million for the entire debate last night. People watch for a while, they tune out, they leave the room, they do whatever. But, but the, maybe we'll have 50 million the next time, but it's what is said after, how it's reported, how the news people talk about it, that will, if there's great moments, the world, the world will know. I just think that on ISIS, other than, than the fact that, that Trump could be challenged for not really having a plan, the, the secret plan he doesn't want to give away because MacArthur would never do it. That doesn't fly, and she can continue to try that, but I don't think there's some great magic or that the, that the world is saying, we want somebody who can dig into the details. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Admiral Cannon, I want to go to that, though. You know, when you talk about the fact that he's touting this council of admirals and generals that are supporting him and advising him, some that he said were there last night, is, is he listening 
to these admirals or generals? Well, I want to remind you, was it three weeks ago, he said that uh, the first thing that he would do is he'd pull together all the new crop of, of uh, admirals and generals because the rest of them are rubble <laughs> to create a plan in the, in the, the first 90 days of his, uh, of his administration. So taking him at his own words, no. Fair enough. And no. With the, did you guys do a little fast checking on those admirals and generals? No. Only one woman. Yeah. One woman. What, by the way, there's been more than one of us that's been an admiral or a general. One woman. Right. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Dan Lipner first. So we're, we're, our entire conversation here, as well as much of the conversation that I've seen online, it's arguably Hillary's biggest success is the dog that didn't bark. Hillary's biggest problem is likability. By far, it is one of her chief issues. That has not been a topic of the conversation at all today. She came across as knowledgeable. There was no Al Gore moment with the size, the, 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 the Barack Obama dismissal of Mitt Romney. There was none of that. That is not part of the conversation in the least today. Hold that, that is a victory. Hold, hold that thought because we're going to talk about the personal attacks and our thoughts going forward from here. We're going to take a quick break. And then we'll get to that. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We will be back in two minutes. Stay with us. You know, Shelley's Backroom has been hosting Backroom Politics for seven years. Seven years. It's still unbelievable we've been doing it that long. But make no mistake about it, Shelley's Backroom is one of a kind in Washington, D.C. Shelley's is a comfortable retreat for cigar aficionados and those who simply want to unwind. The casual but elegant space features soft lighting, cozy couches, and overstuffed chairs. Shelley's Backroom is a cigar-friendly establishment, but the state-of-the-art air purification system keeps the atmosphere comfortable for smokers and non-smokers alike. Sit back and enjoy yourself while chatting with friends or watching one of the eight high-definition TVs, or come by any Tuesday, enjoy your favorite cigar or one of the signature cocktails, and watch how backroom politics is made. Convenient to public transportation and the sites of the nation's capital, Shelley's is easily dividable to accommodate intimate gatherings or large-scale special events. Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob says, it's the place to be.
Frankenstein really yet, Congressman? Thanks. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, I want to I I go to the end of last night's debates, which was kind of sprinkled, but a large part of the last 45 minutes became the personal attacks on, on both sides, um, which got way, way raucous at the, at the end. I feel bad for Lester Holt, but let's talk about that for a second. Um, Hillary Clinton uh, was very, very clear on Donald Trump's comments on women. The issue now becomes is, uh, Alan Moore, you were there. Did that seem as dated a, a topic for Hillary Clinton as it appeared on TV? Well, so it, it was clear that she was prepped with it, including the new accusation. The Miss Universe. About, about the Miss Universe. Right. Um, uh, which, which he apparently today said, well, it was true. She'd added this weight. Um, and and the 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 uh, uh, having said that, it was quite clear that she had made a conscious decision, equipped with some information, to go to that point to to score uh, to to score those points, if you will. The question was whether they had to know that that Trump might come back with a comment about, about how she has been an enabler of a husband who treated women in a real hands-on way. But he had a way. filter. He had a filter or, last night. Well, but he, he said he wouldn't bring that up. He said, I won't bring Chelsea it up. And he, and he did it, he did it kind of, uh, you know, in a way that made, I'm sure some people think, wait, what, where's he going? A lot of us sort of knew what he was trying to claim credit for, for not bringing up. I'm guessing that he will not be as standoffish the next time. He'll be, he will, that'll be one that, that he would want to script out so as not to be grotesquely offensive, which his gut instinct would likely lead him to be, but to, to be a little more measured to say he finds it strangely or sadly ironic that she is making these accusations to him about things that he has said while in her own personal life, there's someone very close to her who has done things, done things that are inexplicable and, and indefensible. I don't know. You know, it, it's, he was trying to say, I'm not going there, but it wouldn't surprise me if he is, is, is pushed into going there in the future or just chooses to go there. I don't oh, know. He, he just, chooses, he just chooses to go there. I mean, this is the guy who says that, uh, you know, this universe is Miss Piggy because, you know, I guess women aren't supposed to gain weight. Jeez. He's also the man who, when asked about his wife and uh, the pregnancy, made a snide comment, if I remember correctly, she hasn't lost all the baby weight yet. Hey, ladies. Well, you know, the, the apparently under the a Donald Trump administration, we're all supposed to be in size zero. And God help you if you look at a piece of bread because under his thoughts, We'd all be fat. All right. Well, but but the one thing the one thing that struck me was though on this is that Donald Trump came out and and accused Hillary Clinton of spending tens of millions of dollars in ads that were vile, inappropriate, and unfair attacks on him. And what struck me about that, Congressman Al, was that 
a large part of those ads that I've seen are all his words on videotape and audio. No wonder he considers it unfair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? How dare you accuse, accuse me of words. saying what I said? Actually, he said hundreds of millions on, on more than one occasion. What I, what I do think we should acknowledge, though, is given all of his comments in the past about women and weight, for the first time last night, he made a reference to what had to be a 400-pound man. So he's broadening. So he's fat-shaming you. He's yeah, fat-shaming. He's fat-shaming. Fat-shaming. Russian hackers. Well, no, fat-shaming <laughs> American kids living in the basement. Oh, that's who true. Who might also be hackers. Which on that same point. It's, it's, it's a serious thought, though. I mean, as a mom of two kids, when you have somebody denigrating people for their weight, what does that say about our leadership? What is it? Well, it's Trump. I mean, I, number I, one. I, I know it's Trump, but you know what? My daughter had to listen to this. I couldn't believe she said, Mom, I have to I have to watch because this is a project for my history class. It's like, oh great. Okay. But not only do we have to watch it for history class, but then we have to see him fat shaming and you know, all of the stuff he puts on people. Right. Kids are watching this. I know. It, well, but, Hillary, but it, I mean just just remember it was Hillary who was quoting him. Right. Now, they were his words, but in terms of bringing it forward the, the, the 400-pound hacker was notwithstanding. That was the hacker that, conversation. The hacker conversation. But it was, at it the was same Hillary time, who chose to, to, to bring up the other stuff. The 400-pound hacker comment was made in regards to the question on cybersecurity. Was it Russia attacking the DNC? The, the other thing that he alluded to was the fact that, hey, my 10-year-old has a computer, and he's really good at it, which I thought, wait a minute, are you alluding to the fact that your 10-year-old son might have hacked the DNC? It just seems to me that there's no logic here. It was just well. It, it was, was all over the place. A reflection of how his brain works. Well, like, I, I think at that point, I think that point, he had entered the low energy phase, and for for Trump, that's huge because remember that was his that was one of his big uh, mantras during the uh, the the uh, the, the lead up the, the primaries. Yeah, did he was tired? Yeah, I, I mean, did I mean that's what we're not talking about is the appearance of. You know, we all saw the point where he was about to be on the brink of just going off the cliff and going Donald Trump. And within minutes of the first interjection, he went all in as Donald Trump. Uh, is that something that he can tone down or can he not help himself? Dan Lipner. He is incapable of, of having a nuanced statesman-like response. There were opportunities he, he could have absolutely run with. I mean, even the, the point that I think he scored with the uh, jobs from Ford in Michigan and Ohio, he could have been a statesman and said, now when you're ta- looking at those working people, when you were in West Virginia, Secretary Clinton, and you said coal is, go- coal is yesterday or, and those jobs aren't, aren't there in the future, you didn't propose a solution. What do you tell those men and women who have... In- Incomes dependent upon those jobs. He didn't do that because he doesn't think that way. He is he, he ultimately incapable of thinking in that process. There is an attack with absolutely zero behind it. So if he lands the punch, there is no after. And with regard to him, Admiral Ken, and with regard to him filtering himself and not going down the road of talking about Bill Clinton's indiscretions and, and uh, Secretary Clinton's possible complicity in them. Um, and, and saying I didn't do it because Chelsea was in the room. So let's 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 all be clear here. 
she's a grown adult woman now. She's been to college. She's read the history books. She's seen the, the, the documentaries. She's the mother of one and a half children. She, she knows. She knows who her father is. She knows who her mother is. Oh, she's had the second. And, and, that, and there's, there, but th- there will be no surprises uh, coming her way. And I gotta believe at some point when they were talking about her running, this is gonna come out. Are you gonna be okay with it? No, but there's, but there's, there's, there's another side to that. Dan Lipner. And it's, it's always risky men debating women on stage. And the Trump's biggest down point during the primaries was when he went after Carly Fiorina badly. And his his numbers took a noticeable decline after that. And he spiked as well. But but it's, it's one of those things that I have no doubt, again, phenomenal debate prep. Somebody, and I probably believe it was Kelly and uh, Conway, she was like, you got to be careful if you're going down this road. And, and I'm sorry, he missed the brief that, that all married men go through. You don't talk about women's weight. Right. Ever. It's not only that he went down that rabbit hole, Alan Moore, it's that when he brought up uh, uh, O'Donnell, um, Rosie O'Donnell, Rosie he not only went down the rabbit hole, he went down the rabbit hole for a good 10 minutes. And doubled down on it. And doubled it. down on it. Well, it wasn't 10 minutes, he, but he did go back down it. He simply said, I only said that stuff about Rosie and because she was because of what she was saying about me. Right. And, and it's true. You know, everybody but agrees. The phrase here is, he said, and she deserved it. Congressman Al, the one thing you do not want to say in a debate of 80 million viewers is say, the woman deserved what she got. How do you even let that go? Well, he already tweeted that he was going to bring Jennifer Flowers. Good point. But well, this was oh. after the Mark Cuban thing, you know, right. it's like, which I thought was stupid, by yeah. the way, of the of the Democrats to say we're going to bring Mark Cuban in, put him in the front row because it'll get under it's under Trump's go. skin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He had a bigger on, he had a bigger entourage than than Pence. <laughs> <laughs> I I think when we're talking about her him going after the. the Rosie O'Donnell. No, the the Bill Clinton thing to use against Hillary, I think, is very, very dangerous because he's on his fourth wife, right? Right. I lost count. No, it's third. Is it third or fourth? Third. Yeah, third. I mean, yeah. It seems to me that that. Uh, so you're equivocal. You're you're uh, you're saying that three wives is equal to multiple uh, infidelities. I am saying that. Wow, that interesting. I am saying that in a debate, if you bring up one, that's going to come up too, yeah. and that will. That, well, there are that other things that something that Hillary's going to strike back with. No, well, what Hillary could strike back with is the domestic violence charges, the uh, the accusation and recantation by Ivanka of the sexual assault. She, she's, she's not, not going to go down that road. She, she's not going to go down that road because the. Mom- This morning, you might have, might have, might have, might have, but when they opened up that can of worms on Jennifer Flowers and said he was going to seat her right in front of Hillary, toodles were out. We're voting for Hillary. Not going to happen. Well, uh, I, 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 he's got a women base. He's got a female base that is not going to lose him. Yeah, but it's not, small. It's not, small, that, but that, that, that one thing, guys, you understand. A woman does not want to see your so, husband's ex-mistress sit in front of you by the guy who you're running against who gouge your eyes well, before that happens. Let's talk about some of the other nuances of last night's debate. We already brought up the fact of Donald Trump has gone on a mad tear spinning the overall debate last night. 
including talking about the odd and awkward snorting, sniffling sound that was very prevalent on television. It was, I mean, I don't know how well you heard it in the premiere. It was, it was so ridiculous. The first five minutes of him making this sound into the microphone was crazy. Donald Trump then went on Fox News this morning and said he was intentionally given a bad microphone, (laughs) that there was no sorting sound. It was the mic's fault. Uh, Congressman, now, at one point, do the American voters look at this and go, stop. This is stupid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You didn't hear that, but that's kind of the sound he made last night. The question was, how do you, when does America finally go, all right, stop, this is stupid. It's not an act of conspiracy against you. How does America do that? I mean, I, 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 I don't understand the question. How does America stop this? No, how does America, when does America say, enough, Mr. Enough. Trump, enough's enough. The world is not out to get you. The paranoia has got to go away. I don't know how America says that. Yeah, America doesn't speak like that. Excuse me, it's a silly question. Thank you. But I think, but I, think, but I think, I think though, you know, all comedy aside, the fact that you know, eighty plus million people saw what they saw, and for him to go on Fox News and say you didn't see that, it, it almost sounds like these are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> uh, so now you're saying that Donald Trump pulled a Jedi mind trick. I, for some people, I'm sure, but uh, I know what I saw. I saw it twice. There you go. <laughs> uh, Denise Krep, there are, there are some that are saying that uh, Hillary Clinton smile all the time. Her little <laughs> came across as what the anti-Hillary people are saying. It was glib. It came across as establishment and elitist. Uh, it came across as holier than now. Is some of the words I've heard. Hillary Clinton's got a how do I relate to the American electorate? Did that detract from her or kind of calm side smiling but attitude? The problem, Justin, is I don't accept your statements that it was nice. As I said earlier, I thought she came off as very crisp. I think she came off as very gracious. I think she came off as very smart. Ellen Moore? Yeah, I, I push back a little on the gracious piece. Crisp, yes. Smart, yes. Prepared, yes. All of those are very important, I think. The, the, the grace, the graciousness, I, I, I want to push back only because within the first 15 minutes, she started going after him. She spent a lot of time last night talking about him. I'm just pointing that out. That, for me, is not being gracious. It's factual, and it may be great debate strategy and really smart because she was trying to get under his skin the first time by simply saying, you got $14 million from your dad. You know, most, lucky for you, most of us don't, don't get that kind of start. Which he also um, called a small loan. Well, then he said, <laughs> yeah, then he came loan. back with it was a small loan. He, he used to say a million dollars, a small loan, which back in 1970 was would have been more like a eight or ten million dollar loan, and and uh, the fourteen million I think came from from one. But, did she, but Alan, did she do anything to prove that she's relatable well, to middle so, American middle so income people? So here's the thing. I'm guessing. Yes. Here's 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 my hunch about about that on, on, on that question. That that the, that the, if you're not decided by now, it means 
you're not disgusted with Trump and or you are not taken with Hillary. What I don't know is whether watching her last night caused people to say, wow, I like her, or I got I to gotta vote for her because of the country, or pulling out my hair saying, why is this my choice? Dan Lindner, did she come across as likable or relatable? Well, that's a harder question because it's something that evolved over time. So, and I heard some of the criticisms as well from a friend of mine who sent me a text who's not political said, you know, I thought her smile was kind of smug, which I, I could see how that could come across that way. But also working in politics for years, you know, any photograph of you taken ever can be taken out of context and can be spun a different way. So her, her smile that was, that was constant throughout the debate, even when Donald was saying some horrendous things, I thought was appropriate for the forum, considering how if she had gone in a different direction, even remotely, and simply talking aesthetically, that would have been used against her. And so going back to my previous comment, the dog that didn't bark, that, that not being present today is a net victory. And over the next two debates, assuming the Donald shows up, that will continue to add to her gravitas as far as looking presidential and being able to handle the nonsense that is coming across from the upper podium. By the way, breaking news coming out of Washington, D.C., CNN is reporting that there has been a possible cyber attack on Democratic staffers and their phones, and the FBI is now involved. They are now investigating. Uh, That has got to be an uncomfortable, uncomfortable situation for the Dems right now. They don't need another hack. Congressman Al, apologize. I know you were thinking about something else, but I had to get that out there. Well, first of all, how, how, how would that hacking redound badly to the Democrats? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Congressman Al, the stuff that people tweet about other candidates, the stuff that staffers, the smack oh, I, that I, other I, staffers. I what you said, the fact that she, she got hacked. No, 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 no. The Democrats, the Democratic staffers have got to be really uncomfortable right now about what they might about what out. might be released. That's got to be a bad, bad feeling. The, the, the other question I want to say is, who, who said these things about her? They, they sound to me like things that people who really don't like her had to find something wrong. I thought she was behaved beautifully in the, throughout the whole thing. Now, I may be reading my prejudices into it, but people who don't like her are going to read their prejudices into it. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. it is. But yeah. Admiral Ken, same, same question. I, I didn't find her like any more likable than I, than I ever have. I'll admit it. I'm a Republican. I don't like Hillary Clinton. But to take away from, from the performance last night, I think she did a good job. I think she was crisp. I think she was factual. I think that she knew her. She knew what she was doing. She was well-prepared. She knows she knows. Uh, the, the high points of her experience, and I think she, she can probably defend the, the low points. She, she, she didn't add anything to the negatives that people already have, and she augments the positives that she is prepared for the job, and she is knowledgeable for the issues that that the United States, the American people are dealing but, with. But now, there are some people who just hate Hillary who will never agree with that and will always find something but, wrong. But here's, but but here's the problem, don't try. I don't think we should take it seriously. No, no, but here, here's the problem, though, with that is, is that one of the biggest concerns as far as 
swing voters go, they bring up three issues. They bring up her credibility, which is a hitch in the armor. They bring up her ability. Which I think she handled well last night. Which she did. It's her ability to relate to the common general electorate in flyover country in places like Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, those places. Did she do anything to fix her relatability problem? She tried. So the story about her dad being uh, running a drapery store, a fabric store, and saying that, you know, a middle-class life, but she turned it to a dig on Trump for, again, the known that he has shortchanged more than a handful of people who have contracted with his businesses. Um, it was an attempt, and I, I, as much as I want to say it landed well, I don't think it. I don't think it hurt, but I don't think it helped as much as it could have. There was no. I mean, the fact that Hillary is one of three children in her in her family. She has two brothers, and there was no person that that personal story was. Still, her dad felt like a third party to the tale as, as beyond the taking it home, and this is what it means to working people when these things happen to you. Like, she could have gone further. I don't think she did. Admiral Ken. She could take a real note from Carly Fiorina's performance during the primaries. She she came across as being likable. This is someone who, who, who has risen to the, the heights of a corporate America, a business person, but at the same time, you know, when she spoke about her upbringing and how she got into business and how she's come up through the ranks. This is someone that you generally could latch on to. She needs to take a note on how Carly Fiorina delivered that. So I've actually asked this question of Clinton folks, and it, the, I've asked it directly. At, and this, my question was, and I quote, at what point is the campaign going to make her a human being? And the, I mean, as far as like a well What's the matter with that campaign? Don't, yeah, don't choke, no, no, Alan. But, but, as, no, but as far as being well-credentialed, be, being a senator, being the secretary of state, doing the things that she's done for children's issues, both domestically and worldwide, those things are credentials on a resume. That is not the kind of thing that really makes you truly relatable. And at the end of the goal... I don't think she's comfortable with it. I think it's almost Bob Dole-esque. When, when the jokes were made that Bob, when Bob Dole would never use the... Use when he spoke word. to himself in third person? Right. He would always say Bob Dole believes because he was taught that you don't talk about yourself. And, I, and the more I see this from Hillary Clinton, I don't think she is comfortable talking about herself in that way. Denise Crap. You're right. There, there were a couple of articles in the Washington Post talking about that a couple of months ago. Um, she comes from a generation of women that... Uh, well, they they had to fight and they they had to break a lot of glass ceilings that I now can just walk straight through, uh, and, and those glass ceilings are pretty hard to break. And, and they they didn't um, they didn't teach the women of that generation to say you know come out and be friendly. You know it, it was you need to be strong, you need to be firm, and you need to hold your ground. Those words that I'm using right there don't are, are not the ones you use for. She's a warm, lovely lady that she'd love to go sit and have coffee with. They don't, they're not equatable. And, and so that's why I think it's a little harder for women of my generation and for women of my, you know, and, and for younger women to understand her. We didn't have to fight. We didn't have to do the things she did. And so to ask a lady um, in her late 60s to all of a sudden kind of, you know, go back 
it's hard. And yeah, I'm but, not sure we should be asking her no, to do that. Here's, here's where I go with this on, Denise, is that she's running for president. She's got to appeal to not only women, but men. She's got to relate to not just her base Democrats, but some Republicans that she can swing over in a large Secretary chunk. State? What? Was she Secretary of State? Yeah. Was she a senator? So? Was she a successful lawyer? What are you going with this? If I was to say all of that about a man, you would say he's a successful person. I want to know him. You would say what? And that's true. I want to address that. Denise, I, I, I think that that is way out. No, it's not. It is. No, it's not. Wait, wait, wait. 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 No, 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 no. Denise, first of all, I'm not saying that she's not successful. You have never heard me say that, number one. Am I right? You've heard me praise her mm-hmm. in certain accents, yep. but the difference is you are running for president of the United States. And you know I'm what? not. Wait, 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 wait. Let me finish. Let me, wait a minute. Let me finish. Let me finish. You're going to throw this out there. Okay. I'm going to close it. The oh, reality are you is, sure about that? Yes. Okay. The reality is that you have to be likable. You have to be able to relate to. I don't care if you are successful or not successful. Mm-hmm. If you are running for president, as successful as she is, she still has to relate to the general electorate, and that is a problem for her. Okay. She still has to be likable, and it's still a problem Donald for her. Donald Trump's resume consists entirely of his business success, not having nothing. And Donald Trump that is not likable. No, no, no. But but as as far as where that conversation ends, both internally and externally, it's his business success. And his ability to negotiate and all these but other even things. But even Donald Trump said that, last night that she that are the things that, that are the things that you can put on a resume and cite on a job application. She is being met with a different criteria, and that no, 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 Admiral Ken. I want to point out that there's someone who ran for president who had a, many of the things that Denise just pointed out. He was a senator. He was a vice president, and we called him Wooden. I'm sorry, Al Gore. Yes. Not likable. I mean, very, very, very successful. Arguably, that was one of the factors that could have put him over the top. And and he was, you're right, Al Gore. Wouldn't us all get it? But you know what, guys? Al Gore grew up in a different time, in a different generation. Well, wait, wait, wait. wait, No, you you can't say You cannot differentiate what what she grew up in, guys. You cannot do that. Come on. No, I'm not coming on. Stop picking on the woman at the table. (laughs) <laughs> That's what you're doing. We're not you picking on the woman. That's what Stop you're doing. Stop protecting a woman who can who can defend herself. Yeah. Quit letting her walk through the glass ceiling. Her like she needs your Quit help. Quit making her go through the glass ceiling. I, 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 first of all, I agree with her, and everybody else is yelling at her, and I. Excuse me. And no. she's doing a good job of defending here's, herself. So here's. So don't patronize her. Here's a, so here's a question for you. Here's Can I just say thank you? Oh, I good grief. Okay. Do you that's think, what looks like. Oh, that. is that what it looks like? I was not patronizing her. It is very difficult for women, even in these days, to be in politics. The fact is that Hillary Clinton is who she is. Donald Trump is who he is. And anybody around this table who thinks either of them are going to change between now and Election Day is smoking something. You wait, wait, Congressman. You mean to tell me that if you are running either Hillary's or Donald's campaign right now, you are sitting there, she has a lot of strengths. 
She demonstrated that last night. But when you have a hole in your viability for the presidency that includes likability, which both have a problem, credibility, both have a problem, and relatability to the general electorate, you want to try and change that. And you have an opportunity on these debates, which get 80 million viewers, to try and fix that. I learned a long time ago in politics is don't try and change your candidate into something they're not. Bingo. So Hillary is not likable? She's not relatable? She is what she is, and you saw it last night. When, when, it's pretty damned uh, impressive. So I Warm this, and cuddly, no. But then I don't know that I want a warm and cuddly president. And then, uh, true and that? I saw this up close. From 2000, some geniuses decided to try and turn Al Gore into Bill Clinton. Now, Al Gore, a, a successful U.S. senator, the a uh, successful congressman, the son of a senator, successful vice president, and someplace out of the blue said, you have to be more likable. And then quoting George Will, when, when Al Gore went to a flood zone, George Will, actually commending Al Gore, said, it's really nice to see somebody uncomfortable hugging complete and total strangers. <laughs> so, and that was not Al Gore's strength. That was not who he was. That is not who he is. And by, by trying to morph into something you're not, the American public, for all sorts of ignorance and, and ill-informed that they might be, there, there is a general sense when somebody is, comes across as absolutely fake, countering everything that you believe know about them. Folks don't buy that. You can't win. Don't try. But what do you think? Saturday Night Live has made it a parody of how fake she can be when trying to relate to the general elector. Okay, so, but you get back to the fact that she ain't going to change between now and election day. Fair enough. This Fair is enough. what we've got, and we've got two candidates, neither one of which are particularly lovable. Do, do I care I if she's going to be likable to fight for health insurance I, for more working I, people, I, make it more affordable? I, I think that it's very, very wise on the part of the Clinton campaign to stress her competence and stress her knowledge and stress her experience, which are all of which they're doing. Alan, and let and let the, the lovability take care of itself. Alan Moore, she clearly wins the battle of the resumes, no question about that. They're, they're, the, the, the public doesn't really like either one, doesn't fully trust. We haven't talked about trust, which I think we'll hear more about the next time. Right. But the thing I think that must frustrate the, the Clinton people is the people who know her really do like her. So let's not just pretend that this is all fake, what kind of, what kind of persona we're going to try to attach. People like the woman who work with her, who know her, who see her in small groups. And what they're seeking to do is not change her from what she is, but find a way that in other, in other settings, the, 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 the Hillary that people who know her and see her up close could somehow... Uh, be communicated in a larger audience. That's a deep challenge. It probably that probably won't succeed. She'll probably prevail anyway. But let's not say that she's basically unlikable, and we're trying to make a, somebody unlikable likable. We're trying to make somebody who people who know her like 
communicate that to the broader. Right. All right. Fair enough. Last point here is Donald Trump today has his spin team talking about how uh, unfair Lester Holt was, the debate format, the microphone settings, uh, his snort that wasn't a snort. And now Rudy Giuliani is on the spin trail saying that Donald Trump should walk out and skip the next two debates. Uh, Alan Moore, does, does having this commentary coming out of your camp help your case at all okay. right now? So here's this was going to be my, my uh, tell me a story. I tell, tell you a story. We don't have time for that today. Well, so, but I'll, 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 I'll respond basically. He's going to show up for the next two debates. He can't afford not to. He's got to prepare. And I think maybe even he will reflect and decide he has to prepare more. I have been struck by some Trump people that, that I know, including yesterday, who said, when I said, the guy just doesn't know stuff, and he doesn't seem to want to learn it. The, the, the comment right back was, he's going to surround himself with great people. And I said, let me tell you something. He has surrounded himself with the B and C team. These are not the best people. That matters. And Rudy Giuliani's idiotic comment about skipping the next two debates is a reminder of the B team. And it horrifies me to think that there was a time when people thought that Rudy Giuliani might be presidential caliber. He's not. Wow. But here's the question, though, Admiral Kent, is does the Trump camp come across as whiny baby to the general electorate? I've been calling him a whiner since this whole process started. Every time something goes on uh, with regard to one of his uh, his uh, um, opponents saying something about him, he whines and whines and whines about it, yet he gets to say whatever he wants to say. I don't think there's any news there. Wow. Dan Lipner, I mean, Donald Trump, the idea, and, and going down Denise's road for a second, can you imagine for a split second what it would have been if Hillary's team had said that? It, the, the oh, it would have been, been horrible. Would have been entirely different. So the, the idea that Trump wants to take his his ball and his you know his single use soaps from his hotels and just go home because he doesn't want to play anymore because people aren't playing fair with him. My God, you're running for pre- the presidency of the United States. Welcome to the and, NFL. And global politics is really. Really hard. <laughs> There's no crying in debate. There's no crying in politics. Uh, Congressman Al, you look just mortified right now. Mortified? Or no, you're ready to go home. No, no. <laughs> I hope we're done beating up on women. But, we're not be- uh, nobody was beating up on women, Al. You do it regularly. I do not do it regularly. You don't even know you do it. Oh, my God, Congressman Al, how do you say that? Okay, okay we're treating Nadine like that. <laughs> by, by, by the way, we completely have left off the topic that Trump admitted he was prosecuted even though he settled for his housing discrimination thing because, quote, lots of people said that. Oh, that, puppy, that, puppy's, that puppy's going to be back in deuces but next time yeah. we'll talk about that <laughs> next time. we didn't even talk about the race relations issue we can cover that even next week but we don't have a lot of time on behalf of Dan Littmer, Congressman Al Swift, uh, Admiral Ken Carradine, Alan Moore, Denise Krepp, I am your moderator the apparently hater Justin Russell, I will be back with the rest of the team next week Live you're not week. a hater, you're just wrong <laughs> <laughs> 
live from Shelley's back room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Admiral Ken? The place to be. Absolutely. You can follow us on our website, www.backroompolitics.org. You can also follow us on our Twitter account, at Backroom Politics. And you can also follow us on Sidewire. Have a great week, America. Talk to you next Tuesday. This is Backroom Politics.